Welcome to Let's Finally Watch This, a podcast for casual movie fans who have always meant to watch classic movies. I'm your host, Nick Hayden. And I am your other host, Timothy Deal. And this is episode 10, the final episode of our trek through the century of movies. Congratulations, Nick. We made it to 2012. Yes, we are nearly to the present. I guess we should explain we're not doing 2022 because because people watch those. Yeah, and I guess you could even argue whether you know this is a podcast for people who've always meant to watch classic movies. Is 10 years really enough to consider a movie a classic? If you're middle schooler, yes. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. And I I do think it is interesting to look back at uh, something in the in the recent history because sometimes we can kind of forget. I mean, we so focus on the present sometimes. Yeah. And then we get like caught up in studying the the distant past that sometimes the closer past gets overlooked and we forget how did we get here. And since that even a decade ago, there are certain movies that have come to the top that maybe you didn't hear about at the time or, you know, things just fall away. They're like, oh, yeah, everyone loved that, but doesn't matter cinematically in the same way. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see if, if we feel that way about this movie, which is... This movie is The Life of Pi. Actually, it's just Life of Pi. Li- oh, just Life of Pi. I always say The Life of Pi. Yeah, there's there's no definite article in the beginning of this title, and I think that's on purpose. It is interesting, though. Every time I say Life of Pi to anyone else, they're like, oh, you mean that one with the tiger? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> which is which is a valid remembering of the movie, because yeah. we'll get to that. But uh, I guess before that, it's only been 10 years, but what's going on in 2012 in movies? Blockbuster age continues. All the top 10 movies of 2012 are from franchises, and they're all sequels or prequels, except for The Hunger Games, which which was a franchise waiting to happen. And that's not much different than it is today honestly no no it's uh the blockbuster age has definitely taken hold that being said the independent film market is still thriving then and arguably now i mean i guess i'm not an expert especially on the streaming especially on streaming services there's a lot of smaller films there's happening. there's a lot of opportunities i mean the big billion dollar movies get a lot of the attention yeah but i mean if you look at the width and breadth of film it's still I'd say you've got a lot to choose from, and yeah. thanks to all the different ways that you can stream or get DVDs or home video, there's still a lot of opportunity. Um, this was interesting. Wikipedia references a book from 2008 called The Contemporary Hollywood Film Industry to describe three kinds of movies being made in the early 2000s, the decade okay. right before this. Uh, one, big budget blockbusters. Yes. Those tend to like average the $100 million, about a third of it of that being spent on marketing because of large release campaigns. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the second category is your art films, specialty films, and niche market films that are produced by the conglomerate owned quote unquote indies. Okay. So these are like, there's indie films that are n- indies in name only in some yeah. ways. They're owned by bigger things. Like, for instance, some of these studios include Sony Picture Classics. Searchlight Pictures, Paramount mm-hmm. Vantage, Focus Features, and I think arguably even this movie, which I think is distributed by 20th Century Fox, but the production company was Fox 2000 Pictures. Okay, which was yeah, more of the indie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's they're not really indies, and they may not have the big celebrities. They may have like the C-list celebrities, yeah. essentially, but those are like your smaller budgets. 
somewhere around $40 million, at least as of the early 2000s, and uh, with 10 to million to 15 million spent on marketing. And then the third category are the genre and specialty films coming from true indie studios and producers. Um, and these, in comparison to the other ones, have much smaller budgets, like less than 10 million, but even frequently less than 5 million, according to. If you want to check it out, so this is, I didn't actually look at the book itself. I'm a, I apologize, but this is uh, quoted on Wikipedia's article on independent film from the contemporary Hollywood film industry. So again, estimates as of 2008. Those three uh, categories just remind me of that film game competition thing we used to play. What was that called? Oh, the um, fantasy box office? Yeah, where we had to like pick what was going to make the most money, we're going to have so, spend so much money picking our movies. And I feel like those three categories explain pretty well kind of what you were choosing. Yeah, pretty much. And I think those categories still reflect a lot of the industry mm-hmm. that we see today. I think it's worth noting because, again, the big picture stuff gets a lot of attention. But there's interesting things going on in some of these other genres. And this movie, I think, in some ways is sort of like a mix of like the first two types because it, like I said, it's partly made by one of the, the conglomerate owned yeah. quote unquote indie companies, but it also had a big budget. I mean, it is, it has a lot of trappings of an indie film, but it also has a lot of trappings like a big, but it's, it is a weird and successful combination. I think. Yeah. Agreed. Moving on, Hollywood continues to explore new technologies at this time. 2012 is still when 3D film has become 3D. a big thing. 3D. After Avatar, everyone's like, we must make 3D. Yeah, they were, you know, there had been a, a spell of trying to make 3D a thing back in, we didn't even talk about this, I, w- I want to say the 60s. And again, that period of time when yeah. Hollywood was competing for television for uh, people's interests. And they're still trying to make his, find ways to bring audiences in. Yes. Um, in uh, 2012, this year, Year, five previously released blockbusters were re-released in 3D, including Beauty and the Beast, Star Wars The Phantom Menace, this is back when Lucas thought he'd release all of them in 3D, Yeah, Titanic, Finding Nemo, and Monsters, Inc. So Disney was on board a 3D train. Now, Life of Pi was 3D as well, wasn't it? Life of Pi was in 3D, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. It is notable, though, that even by this year, audience interest in the format was already waning. Statistics show that about half of the Avengers audience, the Avengers came out this year, only about half of that audience saw it in 3D, and only 32% of those who saw Brave, the Pixar movie, saw it in 3D. So it was already becoming clear for some audiences, I'm paying more for this for not necessarily a better experience. Yeah. It's still a little awkward to wire the glasses, make it work. Yeah. yeah. You know, by now, 3D really does seem like a craze. It's kind of... We're kind of over it. But they are still releasing movies in 3D even today. It's kind of, it's not as, like, I'm not sure NCG shows it as much, Mm -hmm. but uh, there are movies that still get shown in it. And speaking of Avatar, that's coming back at the end of this year. Yes. And James Cameron is talking about, it's like, yeah, you know what? I think 3D has found its its niche. And I can appreciate this aspect of it. He's, He's like... Not every new movie needs to be in 3D, but it's there for filmmakers who want to use it. It's like, okay, I, I can see that. I can I can see that perspective. We'll see the the I'm not super optimistic about the new Avatar movies that are coming out. No. He has a lot to prove after yes, you made yes, you made the top grossing movie of all time, but it still wasn't necessarily a good story. So yeah. we'll see if he can pulled off this time around especially after so many years now there's all the video games that look just as just nice as and cool shiny. yeah 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 
But anyway, other technologies that are being um, explored around this time, one of them being um, high frame rate. Uh, the Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, comes out this year, and it's released in 48 frames per second, which is double the film industry standard of 24 frames per second. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked way back at the beginning of this uh, about how, you know, the number of frames you had. For you know, Nosferatu. Or for, for Nosferatu, uh, it could vary. Or a trip to the moon. Or a trip to the moon, yeah. yeah. Well, the idea being that if you have more frames per second, that's more information more quickly. The problem is that the format took some criticism because it made the film look so realistic it looks fake. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. It's become a standard in the video game realm for games to run, at least ideally, at 60 frames per second. Oh, really? Wow. And, and games makes it's a little different because you want to be able to have really nice control over your... You know, you're it's rendering video as you're playing the yeah. game, and you want to have lots of control. You know, the more frames you have, the more control you have over your character's movement. Yeah. So a lot of games like having 60 frames per second, but it doesn't work in film still very much. Like I don't know we that have a way we want to. We still want to see it as a film, not as a window you, into the outside world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, it, there's something about it's a it's a strange thing. I don't I don't know if it's gonna ever take hold or if they will figure out a way to make that work, but. It hasn't really become a thing in any way since the Hobbit movies, I don't yeah. think. One other technology of note is that Blu-ray had recently come out as the winner of the latest format wars for home video, uh, beat out HD DVD. However, that being said, it was a slower format than DVDs to grow, thanks to a couple of factors. One, there was increased competition from streaming video mm-hmm. already beginning at this time, especially Netflix. Um, according to uh, Wikipedia's sources, in May 2011, Netflix was the largest source of internet streaming traffic in North America, accounting for 30% of traffic during peak hours. Wow. That's a lot of uh, a lot of video all yeah. at one time. And I'm sure, well, I'm sure streaming video is still a heavy portion of traffic during peak hours, although now there are more competitors, more competitors than Netflix yes. out, out there. Also, but at this point, Americans were still adjusting to HDTV, I think, arguably, the transition to digital TV had just happened back in 2009, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people who still have their analog TVs at this point, yeah. the, the big box 4x3 th- sets. Blu-ray HD video wasn't as, uh, just wasn't, didn't catch on with audiences as well. I know there are some of us tech people who could really notice the difference between HD and uh, standard definition. Yeah. But there are some a lot of common lay people who didn't. So even now, Blu-rays I think are not nearly as widely. Uh, I mean, you don't own a Blu-ray I don't player, own a Blu-ray. Nope. Um, because streaming is kind of overtaken. I think there are, there are cinema files that enjoy collecting a Blu-ray because yeah. physical medium is still a useful thing to have. Yes, yes. So I'm glad it's still around. Interesting. I bring this up in part because when I was looking for a copy of this movie, it wasn't available on DVD in any of our local libraries. They all had Blu-rays. And I did not have a Blu-ray player. Yeah. And fortunately, the copy I got was still scratched up enough. We wound up having to rent it from (laughs) YouTube anyway. So (laughs) it worked. But yeah, it worked. So that's a bit of irony. I I meant to uh, I didn't get get around to this. I meant to check again to see if because when we switched to the YouTube thing, I for me, and it may have just been my imagination, but the colors didn't seem quite as vibrant mm. on the streaming version. It's that, probably true. Yeah, it could be. They compress them different. Yeah, probably. Um, anyway, back to 2012. Some notable films from this year. The top grossing film was, of course, The Avengers. Avengers. It was a big deal. The Oscar winners for the year, best film, went to Argo. Mm-hmm. 
Best Director went to Ang Lee for this movie, Life of Pi. Best Actor, Daniel Day-Lewis. Hey, he sounds familiar. He hated Lincoln last time. Yes, but this time he played Lincoln in the movie Lincoln, and he won an Oscar for it. And Best Actress went to Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook. Jay Law was having a great year Mm -hmm. between this and Hunger Games. Our other nominations for this week's episode, uh, one of them was Silver Linings Playbook. Yep which I have not seen, but I hear is very R-rated, but intriguing. Um, but honestly, after that, we just went through three R-rated movies, I'm glad we took a break from that. Yes, this is a good ending one. And the other one I had nominated was Looper, actually, because I had already seen Argo. Mm-hmm. And, but I'd never seen Looper. And since Rian Johnson seems like he's going to be, uh, he's the director of that movie, and since he seems like he's going to be an important Hollywood director going forward, I mean, he kind of already is. I, I feel like I wanted to check that one out sometime. But uh, other notable events, according to Wikipedia in 2012, the two oldest American film studios, Universal and Paramount, both celebrated their centennial anniversaries this year, marking the first time that two major film studios celebrated 100 years. Nice. Yeah. Probably not as many of those still around. I mean, so, we, so we made 100 years for these guys. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, the James Bond film series celebrated its 50th anniversary and released its 23rd film, Skyfall. I think we acknowledged when Dr. Dr. No, no came out. Yeah, back yeah. in 52. Uh, no, 62. 62. Yep. yep, yep. And 2012 was the first year to have four films cross the billion-dollar milestone, wow. surpassing the previous year's record of $3 billion films. <laughs> uh, the, the international numbers help a lot with that, I think. But yeah, still. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, a lot was happening 10 years ago. As always. As always. But we it's closer, so we're getting the weeds a little bit. Yeah. But what is what about this movie? What is Life of Pi about? Life of Pi. This is a movie directed by Ang Lee, starring Suraj Sharma, who making his film debut, uh, an Indian actor. This is an adventure drama with elements of realistic fantasy. It begins in the home of Pai Patel, a middle-aged Indian immigrant to Canada, as he meets with a local author who has heard that Pai's life story would be a good subject for a book. Well, I haven't spoken about Richard Parker in so many years. So what has uh, Mamaji already told you? He said you had a story that would make me believe in God. <laughs> he would say that about a nice meal. As for God, I can only tell you my story. You will decide for yourself what you believe. Fair enough. Over the course of the movie, Pai tells the unnamed writer his story, beginning with how he grew up in India as the child of a zookeeper and of his search to find God in Hinduism, Christianity, and Islam. As a child, he professes faith in all three religions, but his father, a rationalist, encourages him to just pick one. When Pai is 16, his father decides their family must move to Canada, where he intends to sell their zoo animals. However, during the voyage to Canada, their ship sinks, and only Pai and a Bengal tiger survive and are left stranded in the Pacific on a lifeboat. Pai crafts a small raft to float alongside the lifeboat to protect himself from the tiger, named Richard Parker, for reasons we won't get into here. (laughs) But as the days and weeks on the ocean stretch by, he eventually realizes that both man and tiger will need each other to survive. This is a film in glorious, vibrant color, as I alluded to before. The screen ratio is 1.85 over 1, which is a widescreen ratio, very close, slightly wider to standard 16 by 9 HD. Although, I will note that 
when we watched this on Blu-ray, there was a section, a portion, the flying fish scene, yeah, where the aspect ratio actually narrowed to more of a, a wider version. But I think this is specifically so that they could have like the fish jumping over and through the frame. Okay, it's kind of a cool effect. So we didn't watch this movie in 3D, but that kind of gives it a kind of a 3D feel because it's like breaking past yeah. the screen idea. So that I thought that was cool. But this is 127 minutes long, two hours seven minutes. It is rated PG for emotional thematic contents throughout and some scary action sequences and peril. And peril, yes. <laughs> this is a, the portion where they get very descriptive now and in what, what the ratings are for. PG for smoking. The thematic content and scary actions and peril. All three of those things. Can you have scary action sequences without peril? I don't know. <laughs> Can you have peril without scary action sequences? I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the score is composed by Michael Dana. This is a blend of Western orchestral music, standard soundtrack stuff, and some traditional Indian instrumentation. Because it wouldn't make sense, honestly, if there weren't any Indian stuff. Although this is certainly not a Bollywood film. There's no musical numbers. No, no. Despite... But it certainly has that cultural element, especially in the first half. Yes, for sure. All right, so... Obviously, it was nominated for Best Director and won that, but was it successful financially at the time? It was. It did very well. It had a worldwide gross of over $609 million against a budget of $120 million. That's pretty good. Yeah. Like That's a that. good return on investment. Yeah. It basically earned back that budget just in the U.S., the $124 million oh, nice. is where it earned here. It was the highest grossing Hollywood film of the year in India. <laughs> Which nice. makes sense. It makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it was indeed a critical success. It has an 86 approval on Rotten Tomatoes with 256 reviews. Their summary is that it achieves the near impossible. It's an astonishing technical achievement that's also emotionally rewarding. And we'll get into that, but I, I, I would agree with that, that it is a very interesting blend of like emotional storytelling and just crazy visuals. Mm -hmm. A couple reviewer sound bites here. Roger Ebert called it a miraculous achievement of storytelling and a landmark of visual mastery. One of the best films of the year. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone said that Lee uses 3D with the delicacy and lyricism of a poet. You don't just watch this movie, you live it. Which we again, we did do I? 3D, but I will say you're fully invested in it. Like it was... Yeah. It, it is it one, tense. as this is touted oftentimes as an example of a good way to do 3D, I'd be very curious to rewatch it again that way somehow. And I could see, I mean, there's elements that even in my memory, I'm like, yeah, that would have been really interesting 3D when mm -hmm. Richard Parker first shows up on the boat. Yes. And, yeah. That's true. That's true. On the flip side, uh, just to give a dissenting opinion, A.O. Scott of the New York Times said, the movie invites you to believe in all kinds of marvelous things, but it also may cause you to doubt what you see with your own eyes or even to wonder if, in the end, you have seen anything at all. That being said, it was nominated for 11 Oscars. It won four more than any other film in 2012, which means there was some good competition that year. Yeah, yeah. But it won Best Director, Best Cinematography, yep. Best Visual Effects, and Best Original Score. Oh, interesting. So it's only been 10 years, but has it had any legacy yet that, that you could find out? Well, it's a little early to say, although... Like I said, it does continue to be touted as a film that did 3D film well. Yes. Particularly James Cameron, who, like I said, has been an av ongoing advocate for 3D as an option. He's referenced it as a good example of this, saying, quote, The movie is visually amazing, inventive, and it works on you in ways you're not really aware of. It takes you on a journey, and unless you've read the book, which I hadn't, you have no idea where that journey is going. 
It does what good 3D is supposed to do, which is it allows you to forget you're watching a 3D movie, which that's an interesting saying and almost kind of makes me question what is exactly is the purpose of 3D if you're supposed <laughs> to forget that you're watching yeah. it? But I guess it's this whole immersive thing and yada, but yada, yada. I, but I'll agree with him that, you know, the whole, it does keep you guessing. Like, I hadn't read the book either. And it's just like, there's always something. Yeah. What's, what's going to happen? For sure. So there hasn't been a whole lot of other experiments in trying to go with 3D. Apparently, Ang Lee, the director, said that even before Avatar came out, he had been thinking about using 3D as a way to explore the book. Because there was a couple different... Uh, there were producers who wanted to make this in the book into a movie. This I don't know if I actually said this. This is based on a book. Yes, it is. But yeah, I guess he didn't do that in your rundown. Yeah, and I think I, I forgot to mention that. But it's, it's based on an award-winning book. One of the directors that was up for consideration to direct it was actually M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, interesting. Which would have been a very different movie, I think. Yeah, in some ways. He was very intrigued by it because, you know, he's interested in spiritual things. And yeah. this one touches on that. But he ultimately decided not to do it because the book has something of a twist ending and he knew that he has a reputation for that and it would have people... It would be double-edged. Yeah, people would interact with it differently because he was the one who did it. Yeah, with Ang Lee, you don't think about, oh, there's going to be an interesting end. I mean, a twist at the end. Yeah. No, the author. Did the author enjoy the movie? He did, actually. The author's name was Jan Martel, and uh, he said, I'm happy it works so well as a film. Even if the ending is not as ambiguous as the books, the possibility that there might be another version of Pi's story comes at you unexpectedly and raises the same important questions about truth, perception, and belief. And we'll get to that some more probably in our analysis yes. section. My name is Pai Patel. I have been in a shipwreck. I am on a lifeboat alone with a tiger. Please send help. All right. Well, I guess now that we had the basics laid out, do you have a history with this movie beforehand? I was a little bit aware of it. I, from my recollection, I remember there being some talk about it on Facebook from some of my film school friends at the okay. time, because yeah. this was about, oh, a year, year and a half after I had graduated film school. And people were more talkative on Facebook back in those no, days. You would actually have conversations and things. Yeah, well, that was my memory of it. When I actually looked up, I was like, let's see who was talking about this. I couldn't actually find. Okay. I yeah. mean, I found a few people talking about it, but not as much as I remembered. Maybe it was because I was also following film people. And mm-hmm. there was very interesting discussion about this one from an outside perspective of people who really loved it and other people who were like, eh, this whole faith thing didn't really work for me. Yeah. And some Christians seemed to like it. Other ones were like, eh. So, yeah, it stuck in my mind as something interesting. That's why I really I wanted to nominate it for this episode. Yeah, I guess I only knew it as that movie with the boat and the tiger. Yeah. And then recently I had some people in youth group who had had to read it for school. I, the book, not the movie. Okay. They were not particularly fond of the book. Now, I haven't gotten talked to them now that I've watched the movie extensively, but it was, this, it was an interesting thing coming into this then, being like, well, I have people say this is all mumbo-jumbo, so let's see how this movie's going to go. <laughs> sure, sure. So yeah, that's my only real knowledge of it. And Natasha had seen this before your wife, Yeah, right? apparently, yeah, which I don't remember, but and she didn't remember a bunch. Um, but was, was that, that like back when she was doing more, she was writing reviews online? I don't know. Actually, I could go hunt down her review and see. <laughs> Those were mainly book reviews, though. I thought she did some movies, She does though. some films, I think yeah. I remember her talking about Argo, too, which was the same year. Oh, that's true. Well, we could go look if it still exists. Um, but anyways, let's see what we thought right after the movie. What I know immediately what I enjoyed is the 
the colors, the almost more lifelike than lifelike style that this whole thing is filmed in. It was fascinating to me where some people would go real desaturated and edgy. This one went like super vibrant. But yeah, it's what it means. Yeah. I, I, huh. I don't know. I, I found it fascinating. I loved the look of it. And I like that the, unlike last time, there was a lot of violence that could have been on screen that was kept off screen. Yeah, I agree. Like visually, it's very interesting. A lot of really just fascinating, especially on the boat and the tiger. I mean, it's a, it's always another one of those arc movies we talked about in mm. the middle, where it's just two people in the ocean. Well, okay, people, tiger and person, <laughs> two characters, two probably. characters. Yeah, and like it is super realistic, but also a little surreal, and it kind of moves more surreal than comes back into the real. Anyways, fascinating cinematically. Thematically, it's also interesting. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that later. I'll leave it there. I thought that the picture was gorgeous in a number of places. I concur with the slightly surrealist or fantasy feeling of the movie because this poor guy was shipwrecked and on a lifeboat with a tiger for who knows how long. One might expect a story like that to be a lot more frightening and up the edge on how dangerous that was, because there was danger, but instead it seemed to point in many places to not just danger, some danger, but also wonder and beauty and the beautiful wildness that seems to exist out there in in the ocean or in the wild. I can also observe that Pi doesn't draw religious distinctions the way most people do. He seems content to know God in whatever form he can find God in and seems to not find it important where, like, what exactly. And that's either endearing or frustrating depending on your perspective. And I'm really glad the tiger didn't eat him and I'm really glad that the ending was what it was. I'll put it that way. I had seen this movie before and just remembered from that time a sense of dissatisfaction with the ending. I still hold that. I did not remember how much I did enjoy the middle of this movie. Uh, I mean, if you could cut out the religious mumbo jumbo that, you know, you can hold several different religions, including especially Christianity alongside other religions. Um, If you cut that out and I feel like the end of the movie calls into question the whole rest of the movie. And I just I do not like that at all. But I do, the the story itself with the tiger and being on the, the lifeboat, I loved that. That was wonderful. That was a very interesting survival story. Just wish it had been just that. Those were our uh, searching for thoughts immediately after watching. It'll probably get cut down, but we did have a lot of, uh, well, man. <laughs> it's a fascinating movie, but the ending does sort of throw a lot at you very quickly that you have to then kind of reprocess to mm-hmm. a certain extent. And we won't get into a lot of that We're, here. We don't do spoilers here, but we'll just we'll have to just talk a little bit, dance around the the the. Uh, the the ambiguous what the, what the ending does, yeah. yeah. The ambiguous nature. We yeah. might debate it after the fact a little bit yeah. more, but but that, unfortunately that'll have to be off the air, I think. Um, but anyways, I think we both still agree that it is a beautiful movie. It really is. And 
I appreciated this, especially as like a contrast from the previous movie. Oh, yes. The Gangs of New York was very dark and browns and grays. And, and honestly, it was kind of a thing or it is kind of a thing. I mean, for like art movies to feel very desaturated mm-hmm. and grim and gritty and stuff. This is like the complete opposite of that. So there is a theme, this kind of search for God. And I think it's good then to have this beautiful, I mean, the middle where he's stuck on the boat with the mm-hmm. tiger. You know, it's just beautiful scenes, bright. There's interesting ocean stuff that happens. We won't do too much, but it's, it is a very wonder, awe-inspiring sort of nature Mm-hmm. setting and it works really well yeah the beginning the opening credits are in the the zoo basically yeah. and so it's very easy to have all this vibrant plant life and the the animals look gorgeous and all this stuff but i mean the fact that he's in the ocean and that it still looks gorgeous i mean that that could also be filmed really drably and like starkly yeah. you know sun bleach and all this stuff the fact that they still managed to have color in the sky. I mean, a lot of this is due to the visual effects. Yeah. Um, but they don't they don't seem like they don't scream computer graphics. Yes. Yes, come look at me. No, they they just seem like they're trying they're just telling the story. So we don't even notice that they're CGI necessarily. I mean, you know they are, but they don't Yeah. There's an interesting controversy regarding that in that the company that won an Oscar for visual effects in this was actually had to file bankruptcy shortly before the Oscar ceremony. Oh, really? Yeah, and because it's this whole controversy about visual effects artists having their costs just go up, and the studios just don't want to pay oh, for what okay. you know, for what it all costs. And Angley had complained about how expensive things were, and yet these people have to live. Yeah, and there was this whole thing where he tried to address it in his Oscar acceptance speech, and his mic got cut off, which. Partly because visual effects people don't usually get as long to talk as the big name celebrities do uh, on yeah. the awards shows. So, yeah, that's a whole thing. But, huh. but it worked really well in this movie. Yes, <laughs> they, they did a great job. They definitely deserve to get the nomination, and I hope uh, they went on to do other great things. Now, that being said, I, I, there were times when I was like, I was very aware that the tiger was a CG tiger. Okay, yeah. Just, I mean, every now and then, it's like, I've never seen a tiger do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were doing their best, but like, you couldn't quite you know, believe your eyes, but most. But what the impressive thing is about even when you were aware it was probably a CG tiger, it didn't matter because the story was that strong. The storytelling and the direction was great. I mean, it's a com- very compelling movie from start to finish. I mean, the first third is basically background. Yeah, setting then, up my life. And this, the entire middle is just as... You would think it'd be boring to some sense, just being stranded in a boat with a tiger. I mean... Not, bo- I mean, obviously it'd be exciting, but I mean, like, <laughs> what can you do? But they play, a, there's a lot that happens. Yeah. And it keeps you on your toes. It does. I never thought a small piece of shade could bring me so much happiness. That a pile of tools, a bucket, a knife, a pencil might become my greatest treasures. Or that knowing Richard Parker was here might ever bring me peace. In times like these, I remember that he has as little experience of the real world as I do. We were both raised in a zoo by the same master. Now we've been orphaned, left to face our ultimate master together. Without Richard Parker, I would have died by now. My fear of him keeps me alert. Tending to his needs gives my life purpose. 
And it's, it's even the ship sinking scene, which I was getting flashbacks to the Poseidon adventure yeah, yeah. watching it, but it, it still felt like its own thing. I mean, it was mostly above deck as opposed to below deck. Yeah. It was a short sequence and no whole overall thrust of the movie, but it was, it was funny. Yeah, that similarity. But yes, visual is definitely a strong medium, which we've said that about a lot of movies this season, but that's because movies are a visual medium. So, And the ones we've picked have been particularly good at it. Yeah, that's true. All right, so now you want to tackle the philosophical? Sure. We have the dance around this to a certain extent, but one of the other main things, why I think why it's such an interesting movie and one that is not just, oh, it's a survival story. You know, in some ways, kind of what you mentioned Poseidon Adventure, they try to bring this religious thing to a survival thing. A little bit. It, it, it did not work as well as this one did. <laughs> and that one, it feels more like a spice as opposed to a theme. Yeah, and this one is like, the whole theme is like searching for God. The main character is wants to believe. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's like the poster in Fox Mulder's <laughs> I Want to Believe. Um, the X-Files. Yeah, yeah X-Files. But because he, he has these encounters with Hinduism and Islam and Christianity early on, he believes all of them. And there's lots of this like like your summary, his dad's basically like now a rationalist. Like, but you, he's like, please pick one. Some eat meat, some eat vegetable. I do not expect us all to agree about everything, but I would much rather have you believe in something I don't agree with than to accept everything blindly. And that begins with thinking rationally. And so this whole journey with the tiger is some ways this. See, it's hard to. It's not directly spiritual at the time but you have a lot of overlap stuff and the end kind of brings everything together Mm -hmm. and the end's ambiguous to a certain extent yeah depending on your mileage i'm trying to decide whether i want to include this quote from the author that yeah because it'll be hard to i think this this would be a good way to talk about the theme without actually talking about the ending okay but the author of the original book said that the book can be summarized in three statements life is a story you can choose your story a story with God is the better story. So this is a very postmodern mu- movie. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing for that, from a Christian perspective, is that I can fully agree with two out of those three statements. Yes. Life is a story. A story with God is a better story. Whether you can choose your story, I don't think that's entirely true because we're all born with, under certain circumstances. We can't change those. Well, and then implied in that to a certain amount is that the story with God is better. It doesn't necessarily matter which God it's at least yeah. through the main character here that he has. That's true. We just need a god. Give me some sort of yeah, some sort of spiritual center. Yeah, which I want to say that's not better than not having one, but that's the postmodernism, and I think that's where the ending gets. Um, even right after it, we had some discussions between the four of us. Yeah, it was interesting because I had like in our immediate conversation, I had a much more favorable opinion of the movie than and, I feel like you did, and Natasha and I did not. Uh, we. <laughs> Me and, uh, me and Janelle were like, this is really neat. And you were like, meh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I did hunt down uh, Natasha's old, like, 10-year review of watching this on DVD. And she still, even then, was like, yeah, it was good till the ending. And then it was horrible. <laughs> um, so at least, apparently, your mileage can vary on the ending. Yeah. I guess for me, it's like, it was one of those things like, yeah, I don't agree with the main characters trying to blend multiple face. I, I, can, deal, I can deal with that because that's just a character on a movie. He's just yeah. doing what he does. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about that over the last week or so, and I was like, it, it's kind of like Empire Strikes Back. I don't believe in the Force. I yeah. think a lot of what Yoda says in Dagobah is a lot of mumbo-jumbo, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy the Empire Strikes Back yeah. for being what it is. And This is an interesting time to talk about this at the end of the season. But the thing as a Christian watching movies is 
it's important to have a dialogue with the movie, mm-hmm. not necessarily like try to get it to conform to your own beliefs. It's, not, it's saying its own thing. Yeah, yeah. You want to ha- let the movie speak for itself and not just lecture at the movie while you're watching. Yeah. It's like, you should have this and this and that. I mean, yes, you can have things. Obviously, there are things in Gangs in New York that I wish were not in there. <laughs> yes, we already had that good discussion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I was open to letting it do its thing before I talk about it afterwards. And well, I think what a movie like this, where like like I said, I appreciate. I mean, the fact that he even talks about God. Yeah, we, we've talked on Dear Old Trains of Thought that my, a Most, lot of movies won't even talk about it. No, and I think I completely agree with you. Like I, I really don't mind him at the beginning. Have the I mean, yeah, it's spiritual mom Jimbo, but it's just his character, and he's talking about God and everything. I think by the time I get to the ending, the problem is that I call baloney on his reasoning, and like the movie's saying something. I'm like, yeah, but I don't. I can't go that far. I don't believe you or, oh, you just bait and switched me. Or, mm-hmm. And that was you know more Natasha and I's yeah. perception. Again, not that it discounts what the movie's saying. It just, it was trying to sell us a bill of goods that were like, it's not worth as much as you're saying. <laughs> yeah, um, that's fair. But like, it's unfortunate to say that because most of the movie's great. Yeah. For me, I feel, again, we're talking about the ending without I talking know, about sorry, the ending. Sorry, guys. So, but I will... I will say that it wasn't a bait and switch to me. I think for me, it was more of a trap door for someone to make it an ambiguous ending mm. for someone who has a different belief system. Now, I don't necessarily think that it necessarily works, but it doesn't negate the value of the, the rest of the story mm. for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's probably about all that we can that, say. That's all that. we can say there, guys. But it is, I mean, it is, I think, a, an honest, interesting, thematic search for God. And I think, I think it'd take that more often, actually. Yeah. Then we get it. Yeah. I guess maybe that's the part of this movie that's that feels the most art housey. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. And in a way that's not like boy life is terrible, you know, like kind of way that a lot of art movies. I know it's feel much like. more optimistic than most art movies. Yeah. And I and I, I like the optimism to a certain extent. I, I kinda wonder if that is one reason why this was such a big success. I was thinking about that briefly earlier. It's like yeah, it was based off an award-winning book, but you know, there's a lot of yeah. movies that are based off books that aren't necessarily huge successes. Why was this one? And I guess just because it had an intriguing concept, the movie was beautiful, and it gives people hope. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a positive thing, and I think sometimes people overlook that. Yeah, it's amazing. Normally, hopeful movies tend to make a lot more money. Yeah, than depressing movies. Yeah. My guess is, if we looked at all the depressing movies we watched this season. They don't make as much money as Singing in the Rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's possible. <laughs> Even when God seemed to have abandoned me, He was watching. Even when He seemed indifferent to my suffering, He was watching. And when I was beyond all hope of saving, He gave me rest, then gave me a sign to continue my journey. Anyways, Tim, uh, you might have a question for me. Okay, so I know we just talked about, like, you can't force a movie to be on your terms. Yeah. But if you were to rewrite this movie to make it more according to your okay beliefs, how would you make it more Christian? Now, I, get, I got two answers. You want to make it more Christian or just more palatable as is, with as little changes as possible? You can answer the question whichever way you like. Okay, let me do the first, the, the keep the movie honest to itself, but make it a little more... I think, honestly, I won't, I won't get too much into it, but there's this island he ends at. He uh, visits. Near, near yeah, the end. visits near the end, yeah. Um, I think if you remove that, the ending becomes more easy to see either way. Okay. That's my minor change. If you're going to make it more like overt, not overt, like question, but in line with Christian worldview, 
I mean, first off, you got to get rid of him believing three things. At least, well, by the end, at least. You could do it at the beginning because that's his journey. Sure. That's not a problem. Without talking too much, I think you're going to have to start talking about sin nature. Uh, yeah, it doesn't ever really. And I think, touch on I that. think that's going to be vital to make the metaphor work. You know what? It would actually be really interesting. Well, see, don't call it a metaphor. I'm not, I'm not convinced it is a metaphor. But, okay. But it, that's a side tangent. The, um, an allegory. The whole thing with, um, Sin could be an interesting way to touch on the fact that he wants to have this communion with nature, and yet nature just wants to eat him. Yeah, I think adding the element of sin by itself would do a lot, I think. Yeah, I like that. My second question. If you were stuck in the ocean in a lifeboat, and you had to have a zoo animal with you, but you could choose, which one would you choose? Oh, see, this was close to mine for you. Um, (laughs) Beat you to it. But mine was, you were going to have to have carnivorous animals. (laughs) I could take any animal from a zoo. That's true. Does it have to be in the light boat, lifeboat? I mean, like, say I take some sort of aquatic animal. Not an aquatic animal. Not an aquatic animal. No, okay. That's too easy. That's too easy. Because um, then it'll just swim away from you. I put it on a leash. Um, <laughs> Why? <laughs> food. Um, <laughs> let's see. What would be what would be good? a good animal to have with me? For some reason, I have no idea why this keeps coming. I think I, I'm going to have a penguin. A penguin? A penguin. He can go find me some fish, come back. Okay. He's relatively, yeah. I mean, he might still try to peck me, but he's relatively <laughs> uh, benign, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see okay. that. Yeah, we'll go with penguin. I like that. I like that. I would have also accepted a parrot. Ah, that would have, yeah, some sort of bird would have been the parrot and piety. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Should have done that. All right. Do so you have questions yeah. for me? Yeah. So here's a, here's a question. I'm sure there's an answer, but I want to hear yours. So it's called Life of Pi. He renames himself based on the digit pi, or uh-huh. not digit, but number. Why? I mean, what do you think is the use? What is the purpose of making that his name? I mean, you don't make names on accident in books. Well, the name of the movie or just pies specifically? Well, I mean, it's both. I mean, yeah. but his why? Why? I mean, I know why in the movie he changed his name, but why did the author have that happen? Well, I joked. Well, it wasn't really a joke. I said earlier that this is Life of Pi and not the Life of Pi because I think the author himself actually said there's nothing definitive about the story. Okay, so it's like it's Life of Pi. Second. Pi is an irrational number. Yes. So, I mean, there is something to that, like, kind of contrast to the father who is a rationalist. Okay. And I do think that is a, a flaw, admittedly, of this whole story, that it, it tries to have things both ways, and it knows it wants to have things multiple ways and be as ambiguous as possible. I think there is a way, a rational way to enjoy this whole overall story without it having just being... I don't think that the story with the tiger is has to necessarily be irrational, but the author likes having that, the storyteller liked having that ambiguity in it. So okay. That's baked into the cake. Okay. Well, I'm just going to ask because I can't come new and on. Carnivorous animal in a boat with you. Okay. Um, so it has to be carnivorous. Yes, it has to be carnivorous. Can it be like a dog? Zoo animal. Carnivorous okay, back zoo to animal. zoo animal. Yeah. Be a, um, yeah. Okay, let me think then. Because my second thought would have been like monkey, but I don't think monkeys are carnivorous. Nah, I don't think so. Most of them aren't, at least. Yeah. Most of them fruit and stuff. Yeah. I guess I'll say like a bobcat. A bobcat. So you want another feline. Well, another feline, but it seems like it's much smaller, much easier to deal with. Okay. Like, okay. Uh, I don't know. I like Maybe I'd still have to float on a raft beside the boat like Pi does. 
if I'm trying to contain the size of this I, I thing. guess Bobcat will be smaller. Like, okay, I can see that. I wondered like a like, Tasmanian devil or something. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Okay, that's a good point. I was I couldn't that was the smallest that was the first thing I could think of that was small. <laughs> yeah, I think Tasmanian devil. That was actually a zoo aren't they? Yeah. Probably. I mean, I, I know Taz is. Yeah, there you go. So Tunes. it must be then. <laughs> Obviously. Obviously. Okay. <laughs> what, what else is Looney Tunes good for? It didn't teach me about real life Tasmanian devils. <laughs> they made that noise too, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Tim. So for this final movie of the season, is it worth it? I would say so. I think this movie is um, accessible to a wide audience. There's talk of violent things happening, but nothing explicit is shown. And it would raise a lot of interesting discussion questions. So, yeah, I think honestly, I think this is a movie you could show your kids if, it, if you wanted to. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it's for multiple reasons worth watching and enjoy. It's very enjoyable. And though we had this whole discussion about the ending, I think it does raise lots of questions at the very least to have discussions about. And they're good questions. Yeah. And the movie's a lot of fun. It is. It has a sense of humor to it. It It, does. It's tense. Yes, it is tense for a survival movie, but it doesn't feel. And I mean, it gets serious at points for sure. So it has peril. Yes, it has peril. Yes. Yes. It also has a lot of heart and um, some funny moments. And it's it's by easily the most accessible one we've watched in the last couple decades. Yes. Well, it wasn't rated R for one thing. So, So, yes, I appreciate it for that fact alone that we got a, a really nice. It's a thoughtful, but it's PG. Exactly. Which I'd love to see more of that sort of thing. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I think for our last movie, it was a good one to end with. I, I agree. So this is the last episode, but we are going to do an epilogue, sort of rounding up the entire season, looking back. Uh, we'll probably do our own ranking. Ranking of the season's movies? Yes. Because it's been quite the journey. And yeah. again, even after some time, you, they start settling in different places in your head yeah. to a certain extent. It, it's inevitable. You want to compare them, see how they compare against each other. So Even though they're very different. Exactly. I think it'll be a fun discussion. So that'll be on December 30th. We'll give a break for... Uh, for Christmas, the holidays. holidays and everything. So right before the end of the year, you can uh, listen in and see like, okay, yeah, I agree with you or no, you're completely wrong about where we rank things. But until then, obviously share this if you haven't with all your friends. Yeah. Subscribe to us. Go to the website, derailedtrainsofthought.com. Leave us a comment. Let us know what was uh, your favorite episode this season. Let us know things you might like to change. I think we enjoyed this enough. I think we're going to do this next year at some mm-hmm. point. Let us know if you have any recommendations for movies from the, well, of course, we'll be doing the uh, the threes, y- movie, yep. like 1923, 1933, yep. et cetera, et cetera. It'll be in 2023. Also, if you watch one of these movies after one of our episodes and you end up enjoying it or not, we'd love to hear Like, hey, yeah. what, what movies does this expose you to that you had always meant to watch? That's right. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed it. <laughs> Until next time, uh, have a Merry Christmas. And this has been Nick. And this is Tim. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.